Welcome to the Layers of Design podcast, where we uncover the personalities behind the architecture that impacts our communities. I am your host, Ebehi. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you get inspired. You probably need to open this up in the beginning to everybody because Africans have not given themselves the permission yet to think out the box, even if that box is to allow them freedom to enter their own African box. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Today, my guest is Mandeli Okumabwa. She's a cultural designer, urbanist, and educator in African architecture and community planning. Her passion for design is rooted in a vision where communities in Africa and the diaspora are developed with new architectural languages that preserve heritage and are culturally and environmentally sustainable. In 2005, she founded Southern Sahara USA, an international consultancy specializing in the research and development of this new architecture. Mandeli Okumabwa attended the University of Tennessee and Georgia State University, where she pursued undergraduate studies in architecture and urban studies. She holds a master's degree in African and African-American studies from Clark Atlanta University, where her research centered on the evolution of modern vernacular architecture in Nigeria. In 2013, the fruits of these efforts gave birth to the Community Planning and Design Initiative Africa, CPDI Africa, a research-based, culture-inspired initiative created to develop new African architectural languages through design competition. Believing that the redevelopment of Africa's built environment should be as it has always been, built as a collaborative effort between the community members and designated master builders. Ms. Okumabwa engages participation from the design community throughout the African diaspora for the accomplishment of the CPDI Africa vision. In this episode, we dive deep into Umandeli's journey in the world of architecture and design. Some challenges she took on while exploring what architecture meant for her and why she founded CPDI Africa, as well as what the future looks like for her organization. Stay tuned. Hi, Iman Berlin. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I'm very excited and honored to finally have you on as a guest on the podcast. Wonderful. It's a pleasure to be here, Lehi, truly. Of course. So I always love to start out the conversation with asking my guests, how we get started in architecture and design. Okay. Ooh, how did I get started? Well, um, like many of us, you know, we have that story of starting out as a kid. Um, something uh, entices you, kind of. Um, for me, what got me started was when I would go and visit my friends and all of their houses would be different. Um, I, th- I found it very intriguing that um, some people lived in apartments, some people lived in, in bungalows and houses, you know, different bedrooms, uh, numbers of bedrooms, where the living rooms would be and all of that. So I just found that fascinating. So um, 
I would go home, of course, after visiting different friends and I would sketch um, what I thought was their floor plan. You know, I'm, I'm eight, nine, 10 years old. Um, and then later on, I would kind of get out there in the backyard with sticks and stones of my siblings. And I would actually make floor plans outside in the backyard, dig with <laughs> the hole. And I would plant sticks as the walls and I'll have stones and I'll make my own little houses. So this was growing up as a kid in Auchi, uh, former Bendel state in Nigeria. And um, it was a, a passion. And when I moved to the States, I got into a high school that taught me that this thing that I love doing with houses and everything was called architecture. And that's how my journey begins. Yeah. Wow, that's very interesting. Um, so you were very hands-on early on with architecture. Yes. Oh, yes. It, it sounds like you were you already started model making. That's exactly right. I never even thought about it like that, but that's that's right. As a kid, <laughs> I was already making real life real life models um, out of the materials that um, were available just in the backyard. You know, trees everywhere. You could pull off limbs and branches. Um, you could also weave raffia together, the, um, the palm tree and the banana leaves. You could use those to make, you know, little roofs. So, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> I found it margarine. Um, so you said that <laughs> when you moved to the States, I thought you went to the States in high school. That's when you discovered that, you know, but I guess kind of this passion you were, you were trying without even knowing it. You discovered that, you know, you could actually study architecture. Um, that kind yes. of brings me back to, takes me back home to, you know, the education that we have in our high schools. Um, it's interesting you point that out. Do you see that there is, at least from your experience, did you see and do you still see that there is some sort of gap missing in the Nigerian or the African education system where we're not really introducing enough young minds to the profession of architecture? Um, it's changing now. You do have some universities that go out and kind of um, share this kind of information, the different um, um, optional professions to students in high school. Um, it's slowly changing. But back then, 30, 40 years ago, <laughs> it, was, um, it was different. You know, um, in schools in Nigeria, I'm sure Africa-wide, you know, your parents want you to be a lawyer, a doctor, you know, um, that was kind of the height of it. And so everybody knew those professions. But you can imagine how important the built environment is. We all live in houses. We all go to work in spaces. Um, and those spaces don't magically appear. They are professionals, you know, who are designing and building those. So a very, very important profession, you know, for so many reasons. You think about how our villages, our towns, our cities, our urban areas are built lots of opportunity uh, to do, um, to make a difference and of course to make money. So um, I think it's changing now. It's changing now. Well, I'm glad to hear. Um, so wait, so now, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to walk on my audience through sort of your background. Um, so okay. right now, you know, you're in this place, you've discovered architecture. How have your experience, mm -hmm. even just coming from a totally different country and coming here, one, of course, there's one cultural shock of just living in a different country and trying to adapt to the environment. 
But then there's yes. also the schooling system that you kind of have to adapt to, especially diving into this profession that you don't really know mm-hmm. much about. So how does that whole journey on, I guess, how, how, how come and why do you stick with architecture? Oh, wow. Okay, it's going to be like an exciting conclusion. Okay, so um, I get to the States, I'm 13 or 14, so I had done up to third year in Nigeria, Federal Government Girls College in Benin. So I land in Memphis, Tennessee, which is my mom's village in America. My mom is African-American, my dad is Nigerian. So I land in Memphis, Tennessee, just so happens that Central High School um, offers architecture. Um, And that was rare then. Um, It still is a little rare. But I had a chance to do a double major in architecture and German, of all things, um, but I do speak a little German still today. So my professor, my teacher, <laughs> my teacher then, you know, he was see me drawing. He says, okay, this thing that you love doing is called architecture. Do you want to major in this? I said, sure. So I did three years of drafting in high school. Um, of course, I enjoyed it. Then I applied to, 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 to university and I got into School of Architecture at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. And I just have to tell you, I had the time of my life. I loved it. I have a favorite professor. still remember his name, Professor French. He said I reminded him of himself when he was young. Okay, great. But those days, um, you would have so few girls or ladies um, in the in school, in the, you know, kind of in the profession. Um, it was three of us in my class. Myself, Allison Hooks, who became my best friend, and another young lady, and everybody else in class, there were guys, of course, um, European-Americans. And a lot of these guys came from families um, where there were a lot of architects. So they already came with the language. They came with their T-squares and protractors. They already kind of knew what to do. But people like me and my girlfriends, we were just like, you know, coming from an African-American community. That was so rare. You know, nobody really knew a lot about architecture. But anyway, it didn't take us long to catch up and um, just loved it. But then I moved from Mem- from um, Knoxville, Tennessee, which is a college town, um, to Atlanta, Georgia in year two. And talk about a culture shock. Um, Knoxville is a college town, predominantly white. And then you move to Atlanta, which is black Mecca, right? Those days. And it was just an amazing experience. I'm now kind of remembering that I'm Black, I'm Nigerian, I'm African, um, kind of got into the whole activism um, scene. And at the same time, while in the school in Georgia, I joined NOMA, the National Organization of Minority Architects Student Chapter, and went on a conference in D.C., and that's where I met Professor Hughes, who is my current mentor, one of my two main mentors. And um, he was talking about Afrocentric architecture. He was doing this um, lecture during the conference. And that's where everything really changed for me. It was just a pivotal experience in, in, in my academic journey. Um, it's led me, of course, to where I am today. But he was talking about architecture um, by Africans, of Black people. Um, that was the first time that I realized that so much had been missing in my classes, right? In the curriculums that I was 
taking in the in this all my syllabi, you know, we never spoke about Africa. Maybe they'll talk about Egypt if they want to at that time believe that Egypt was in Africa. Um, the pyramids. But once you left that, you never came back to the continent. You never talked about black architects. Um, and so I was, I just became really proud all of a sudden. And I rushed back to school and I said, oh my gosh, that's right. I'm from Nigeria. I'm Igbo. Um, in my next design project, I'm going to channel some of those aesthetics and cultural elements and all of that into my project. And I did. I had a great time doing it. But then when I was presenting it in jury, my professor let me know um, I had, as we say in Nigeria, I had misroed that, <laughs> that, you know, it's just not possible. You know, Black people don't have architecture. Uh, African cultures have not modernized their design languages, that it was other cultures who had done this. So what my classmates were doing made sense. But what I was trying to propose had not been proven. Um, it wasn't valid. And that kind of really deflated me. You can imagine, you know, a young design student exci excited to be an architect one day, now realizing that architecture was about culture and so many other things and, and region. Location, materials, weather, spirituality, all those things that were, are unique to space. And so, of course, everybody would have an architectural language, of course, including Africans, right? So to be told that that wasn't possible for our people was, um, was really heartbreaking. So I felt the profession wasn't for me. So I left in third year and finished in urban planning. Big picture, yeah. I still got to be creative. I got to learn all about the building, all the allied professions, um, landscape and construction and real estate and tier design. I got to learn about everything, urban planning, urban design. Um, but then I went on to get a master's in African and African-American studies because I needed to understand what my professor was saying. What happened to Africa, right? If I could master Africa, right? A master's in African studies. If I could master Africa, I would understand what went, let me not say wrong, but what happened to the evolution and transformation of our own design languages and our built environment. Was he right? Was he wrong? What? So that's kind of what I found out. So getting that degree in African studies, I focused on architecture and planning of the continent. I narrowed down to Nigeria. I pinpointed Dimas Renko, who was my other mentor, a Nigerian architect, artist, master builder. He's a world renowned now. Um, but I looked at his work. He was the one person in Nigeria who was channeling um, culture and identity in the architecture that he was building around the country in Benin, he channeled Edo architecture in Ibadan. He channeled Yoruba architecture in Delta Igbo land. He channeled Igbo and on and on. And so um, during that master's program, I learned that there was somebody who for some reason, and I'm going to say it's spiritual, it's, it's a calling, had taken it upon himself to understand 
what Africans design and build, what our design philosophies were. And he had taken the time to modernize them. His theory on natural synthesis says you take what's good in the culture, you, th you take what's good from outside, and you synthesize them, and you make life affordable and comfortable for the people. So um, the journey ended in an African studies master's, and I realized what happened really to Africa, you know, um, simple truth. After colonization, um, we didn't have that great, we missed the great opportunity um, during our independence to say, okay, look, okay, the colonizers are gone. Let's pick up from who, where we were, who we are before colonization and other cultures and Eurocentric ideas came in to overpower. Let's kind of remember who we are, who we were, and then take, bring that to the forefront today and project an Afrofuturism for ourselves, an Afrocentric identity for ourselves in everything, culture, architecture, music, politics, medicine, everything. And so because we did not bring Afrocentric ideologies to the classroom, we started graduating professionals, we'll talk about architecture, professionals in architecture who, they weren't learning anything Afrocentric, they were learning Eurocentric. So that's why my professor could say Africans had not spent the time to develop their own. What we do is copy other people's. And so if I'm gonna get through this design studio, <laughs> let's do that, Modley. Right. Don't sit here and try and invent what does not exist. Your classmates are already doing it, whether it's the Asian, the students, the European students. Their cultures had earned the right. Their, their, their new design languages had been validated. So that's what you should be designing, not this that you're trying to propose. Um, so that was my educational experience. And uh, you know where it got me. We can talk about that next. But um, yes, education. Um, <laughs> yes. Wow. Thank Priceless. you so much for being so open and honest about your experience. And I personally really love your story, just reading it or even just hearing it again. Um, I think it's very inspiring for you know so many reasons. And I have two main questions that I'd like to quickly ask you about in terms of your educational career before we jump into, you know, all of the great work you're doing right now. My first question is, honestly, what made you love architecture school? Not a lot of people come out saying they absolutely love, you know, <laughs> architecture school. What made me love it? Um, I, th I think it's just, you know, if you're a creative person, um, if you like creating, you have this, this vision and you want to see it manifest. Um, you have great ideas. Um, I just, I loved what I was learning in school. Even before I met Professor Hughes and he was talking about Afrocentric architecture, I loved everything I was learning. Um, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, Corbusier, all of them, great architecture. Um, I loved what they were doing with the built environment. And like I said, from a kid, I loved how every house was different. I just thought that was very creative. So that was my love for it. And then, of course, it just took on another level when I realized that if I were to now represent 
African identity and culture and heritage preservation in that, it would be even more amazing. And it would speak so much more to me and my community, both on the continent and in the diaspora. So. So in terms of your professor, you know, I'm a professor that kind of tried, that, that, that made me aware that um, African, African architecture was not yet in quote modernized. Um, a lot of people will take that kind of advice, you know, and decide to just leave the profession. But it's really admirable what you do. You went a step further to really find out why. It's almost like he gave you a question to go find the answer to. Um, and of course, you were successful with that. And when you came back and you found a way to just sort of pick yourself back up and inspire as well as teach other people. So that narrative is not being told over and over again. But thinking back as a young um, student, so I was really excited that finally your culture can be represented in something that you love so much. How would you have prepared, or how do you think it would be a better way for your professor to express, um, you know, just to express that and with that question again, or propose that prompt without discouraging where? Oh, wow. Um, he could have done so much. Um, like I said, I had this professor back when I was at UT Knoxville. And he's, he said I reminded him of himself when he was young. Maybe I was taking a lot of risks and challenges, and he liked that. And he found a way to encourage um and to help me along the way so I could solve the problems that I was creating for myself, right? Um, but somehow the School of Architecture, and I don't think it's changed a lot. It hasn't changed in Africa. I've, ooh, I've been to jury sessions where kids just fall out on the, on the floor. They cry. They run out the rooms because the professors are so hard on them, you know? Um, so that's one thing I know for sure is that the approach in design school, especially in jury, that the professors find um, better ways to critique their students and to encourage them. Push them a little further, but don't have them so heartbroken that they leave the program. A lot of students actually drop out of school, you know, drop out of architecture school. And my father told me at that time, Madly, do not leave. Whatever he tells you, say yes. And then when you graduate, you can try and prove him wrong or try and find out what he was talking about, but just go along so you can graduate and become an architect. Um, I couldn't do that then, but that was my personality. Sometimes I wonder if I had stayed in the program and kind of allowed him to have me kind of walk the regular straight and narrow, that I would have just, just fallen into the regular architecture and never would have thought about Afrocentric. And then CPD Africa would never have been born, right? And the movement that is so powerful today would not exist. It's almost as if I had to come out of the profession to have the freedom to be me, right? And so now... Um, I mean, I teach in several universities in the U.S. I teach African architecture. You know, Black Lives Matter and wanting to decolonize the curriculums is becoming slightly popular. So now we're starting to hear these voices and the students now have 
that opportunity to 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 get their voices heard and get some kind of support, um, unlike before. Um, so yeah, yeah. Just we just need we also need professors that are more exposed themselves. Well, right. That's yeah. Um, wow. That that that's just. I mean, I think you're saying like with every single thing that you just said, and even just I I. I really love that you too that as a child you met the profession, but you you still found ways to help and give back to the profession because yes. and that's something I think in architecture is not normalized enough. Like you mentioned, mm-hmm. that street and narrow path. You know, I met professors, I met um yeah, a lot of professors in architecture school. It's always that street and narrow path, which there's nothing wrong with. But once mm-hmm. you get out of school, you kind of realize that architecture is so much, it's so broad, that you can really mm-hmm. find ways to be involved in the profession without becoming like, you know, the, the standard architect that we know of today. Yes. So I think yes. that it's also a beautiful journey, you know, that you've been through and still discovered yourself through everything. Hey, come, come. Yes, it, it it it's been quite colorful. <laughs> only only for the strong or the very stubborn, and I know I'm stubborn. Um, I, I, you know, I I I take everything on as a challenge. You know, so when I left my professor uh, Professor Hughes lecture that day in 1994, and I heard him saying all these amazing things about Africa, I said, "Well, what am I going to do about which about?" This with all this knowledge I've gained, what am I going to do with it? So I challenge myself to use it, not just to listen and think, "Oh, great historical story." No, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to make it live today? And so, yeah, that's it. Students should take on challenges, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I have so many questions, but I know we have to keep moving. We get more response of all of the work you. Be like you being able to accomplish. Um, so mm-hmm. you mentioned architectural architecture, and of course mm-hmm. that leads us into um, your organization, CPDI Africa. Um, mm-hmm. Can you shed more light on CPDI Africa? Why you started it? What it is, and just everything around it. Yes, indeed. Love to. Love to. Okay, so CPDI Africa stands for for the Community Planning and Design Initiative Africa. It um, was launched in 2014 at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. Um, And when it launched, it was purely my desire to find more people in the world that I could have a conversation with. Because at that point, it was just me and my thoughts on African architecture. What, if we were to build Africa in our own image, what would we build? And I would sit in my room in my space or in my office at work and I would think about it and it's just me thinking. CPDI launched as a competition. It was the first African-centered architecture competition. And the goal was to find designers anywhere all around the world. It didn't matter whether you're black, white, what culture, where you were from, if you were excited about this conversation, what I felt was going to be like the last chapter in the book of architecture, the modern African architecture um, chapter, 
that if you were excited in this conversation and you would love to do research with me and create new architectural languages for Africa, then send in your designs, do the research, send in your prototypes, and then we will have these great discussions. You would win money, of course, and we would showcase your winning designs around in our exhibitions, which we called the Art of African Architecture Exhibitions. We would showcase this stuff to the world and get feedback from people, right? Is this okay? Is this beautiful? Um, and so it launched and I was really amazed. I was really, it was a blessing. We got hundreds of submissions. Um, in 2015, that was our first one. The winners came from Puerto Rico, from Vietnam, from Africa, from Russia. Um, wow. Amazing architecture came in. People were just so excited to be a part of this. African architecture, oh my God, what is that? We get to invent it. Really, we get to build upon traditional building blocks. Oh, wow. Um, so if you look at our website, tpdafrica.org, you will see what came in. We did it again in 2017. We did um, an internship online in 2020. We did another competition in 2021. Amazing masterpieces came in. We traveled the work around. People were like, this is such a breath of fresh air. We've never seen such. Who were these architects? Where are they building this? How come architects haven't been doing this all along? How come we don't live in these amazing Afrocentric? And I just said, you know, it's the schools. The schools are not teaching, right? Um, so we were very successful because if people had said, Madly, this is so ugly, this is savage, this is primitive, oh my God, stop doing this, then I would have said, okay, we failed. It's, it's impossible. The like second professor said, it's, it's impossible to translate or interpret African culture in modern ways. But no one said that. They all said, this is beautiful. Where are you building these? Can we buy? <laughs> you know? And of course, later on, Wakanda came out. It was like, oh my God, it's happening. You know? <laughs> People are envisioning an Africa that could be. You know? Um, and so, of course, today, I'm, I'm just really proud. Today, Afrocentric architecture is just the buzzword. Afrocentric everything. I mean, sitting here in Nigeria now, you turn on TV... Everything is Afrocentric fashion, Afrocentric food, Afrocentric movies in Nollywood, Afrocentric, you know. So it's really happened. Um, not just me. I'm standing on the shoulders of great people. Afrocentric architecture, the theory, was written by David Hughes, Professor David Hughes out of Kent in Ohio, and natural synthesis by Dimas Wonko. So their work formed the foundation of CPDI and helped us share um, the philosophies and the elements that we use when we teach architects and students to create African architecture. Um, we call it the five pillars of Afrocentric architecture. What's culture, what's aesthetics, what's spirituality, what's materiality, and what's community engagement? What are these five lens um, translated in your built environment? So when you do that, when you create architecture that responds to those five lens, then you will go region by region and the language will change, right? If you're in Ashanti land in Ghana, it should look different from Edo land in Nigeria because culture, aesthetic, spirit, all those things are different 
Indebele, Jamaica, Haiti, Black American communities, if you were intentional, if you made that conscious decision to translate those five elements into the built environment, region by region, you will create amazing, amazing Afrocentric architecture. So that's CPDI now. The competitions grew into school, our global studio. People can go onto our website, uh, download our on-demand courses. They can come to excursions. They can do internships. We travel around Nigeria. We're trying to do more around the continent. Yes, yeah, so you really get to emerge yourself and and create and be as as <laughs> as creative as you want to be with us. Yeah, I bet. First of all, I definitely need to go on and go for an internship. <laughs> it's thinking that fantastic, um, fantastic. I remember when I first stumbled upon your your page. Well, not really. It was my dad that introduced me to you and your work. And, I, and I, mm-hmm. at the time, I was really struggling. You know, I was just really struggling with mm-hmm. when I see myself in the profession. You know, I graduated. I really got into architecture with the idea that, you know, I want to take the skills that I've learned and take it back to Nigeria to really help my people. But mm-hmm. so I was so intrigued with, um, you know, context, right? Site context, mm-hmm. how can I really translate all of this? What I've learned, but culturally. Um, but I never really... It never really made sense, right? Because we weren't taught that way. And so when I stumbled upon CPDI Africa, I remember a light bulb. I, I just felt like heard. I felt seen. I felt mm. like, um, you know, my, my way in front of what forgotten, right? Someone yeah. is out there yeah. working on proving that um, our architecture is validated, our architecture can be beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm so happy you touched on the five pillars because I definitely was going to ask you that. It's almost, we mm-hmm. could perform like some sort of guide almost yes. to, to yes. create, help you design, you know, and think yes. outside the box and think different. You're definitely going to use that <laughs> to see where I come up with. On that, I'm very curious. Um, this was a study that was for, you know, that was really to dive into what African architecture could be. Um, and so I'm curious for your competition, why did you decide to open up, open it up to the whole world, right? Just everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily yeah. just Africans or Africans mm-hmm. in the diaspora, because one would think that this is a family of Africans and everything Africans have, have been through in terms of colonization and reading yeah. history and yeah. all of that. And we are also still trying yeah. to redefine ourselves. Or when you just mm-hmm. rediscover ourselves, um, that might could you keep this to us to kind of figure out by ourselves and then yeah. share the information. Beautiful question. Beautiful question. And um, <laughs> um, you can imagine that I, I agonized over that in the beginning. So in the beginning, it was going to be Black only. You had to be African or from the diaspora. And... One of my cousins, um, the daughter of Dimas Wonko, I was speaking with her. She said, you know what, Madly? Um, you probably need to open this up in the beginning to everybody because Africans have not given themselves the permission yet to think out the box, even if that box is to allow them freedom to enter their own African box. We're so trapped 
in that colonial mentality that it may be hard for just Africans to visualize what you're talking about. They, they may not be able to give themselves the permission to be confidently African. I said, oh my gosh. I said, okay, fine. So I'll do that. I'll open it up to everybody. Sure. Best decision, best advice ever, because in that first competition, the most amazing designs came from those in Russia and Vietnam. Yes, in Europe, because they are used to and being creative, and again, thinking of the box, they could visualize. There were Africans who submitted, and there was a, um, an, an architect from uh, Republic of Benin, Senidara, who won third place in our 2015 competition. Um, everyone just kind of let themselves free. They, did, they didn't come to Africa. They read books. They found a way to find books to read up on African cultures, and create these 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 design prototypes, but Ebehi, you know, <laughs> hey, by the second and the third and the fourth, <laughs> Africans were like, oh, we get it, we see what she's asking for. Oh, is that what she wants? Oh, and you know, Niger, Niger, no, they carry last. So Africans. <laughs> by the next competitions, oh my God, Africans had taken over. And that's because they just needed to be given the permission, the encouragement. Somebody wants to see you, to see who you truly are. And these architects were just coming. Some of them were crying. They were like, I cannot believe what I found when I went to my village. I started asking questions, asking the elderly. People were shocked that I was asked, that we were asking them these questions. It's like, you want to know? what we used to design and build and why. We've never had these conversations. Nobody's ever wanted to know. People just wanted to come and bulldoze all of that. You want to know? And these elderly people were sharing wisdom, knowledge you would never see in a book anywhere. And these architects were taking that back to their studios and coming up with masterpieces. Um... Jarawa from Plateau State in, in Nigeria. I have to give a shout out to Umar, Farouk, Farouk Umar. Um, the winning design that came out of Edo land by Nate, Robert Aze, who is Igbo Yoruba, but decided to try Edo, nailed it in 2021. Um, Igbo architecture that came out, Hausa, oh my gosh, stuff from Egypt, incredible stuff. So... And it ended up being a good thing. And then, of course, we don't want to leave anybody out. Um, anybody should be able to take um, a design philosophy and come up with architecture. You know, Africans do it all the time, right? We design and build European architecture every day. So they can take ours and do it too. Um, and you know how the world is today. Um, it still takes Europe to validate what Africa is doing for Africa to have confidence. So we hope we're going to get over that, past that very soon. 
but having European and Asian designers involved just took things to another level. Um, you're seeing that all the awards that are coming out now to black architects are coming from Europe. Um, hopefully one day Africans will have their own awards for African architects and African architecture. Um, but yes, it's, it's changing. Um, it's a new day. It's a new day. <laughs> so unfortunately, to be honest with, with, that, with that question, and I found it so important to pinpoint on that, um, just because from an outsider and looking in, you know, you'll sound you just open this up just to get more, you know, more attention towards the towards your initiative and the competition. Um, but I just love the reasoning behind it, and I completely agree. Unfortunately, even when I moved, when I was at home and I worked for a few months, um, I mean, the buildings that are coming out of the office were beautiful, but it wasn't very site-specific in the sense that, you know, we were still looking to European precedents to design. Um, so I love that this, you know, the, just opening it up to the world gave Africans permission, even if we necessarily shouldn't, but just mm -hmm. because we are, you know, we're almost frightened, like, oh, it, it, yeah. we, we might not even know how to, where to start in terms of looking yeah. for research or translating yeah. our culture into architecture. So that gives yeah. you the of what permission to think outside the box and realize that yeah. you know, I can literally bring my culture into my work. I think I think that's the important. Yes. I mean, I think it's it's a fantastic thing you did just opening up the competition. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I, I I just want uh, just one one quick one. And I know we're running out of time soon. Um, just a quick example. Just the fact that. You know, African musicians don't get permission from anybody to create their Afro beats, their Afro sound. That is one area where we've just been free, our fashion, certain things, our food. Architects in other areas need to take that same confidence. You don't need permission from anybody. Bring what's inside of you out um, and just and wow the world. So I think we're there now. I think we're, we're starting to get there. Yeah. To get there. Um, so, two questions, because I, I have a lot of questions, but <laughs> I think like I need to bring you back in for another uh, question. Maybe that we Yeah. Um, so, real quick, two questions before I close it out. The first one mm -hmm. is so, what is the recent challenge? After CPDI Africa has really grown now, and it's garnered so much attention and really allowed people to produce all this beautiful work. Uh, what is the recent challenge that CPDI after that is facing or mm. taken on rather facing? Oh. More taken on now. Good one, good one. So, as you know, the beginning was to have the conversation, um, successfully translate African culture and all into modern prototypes do the great research, come up with the amazing um, designs and renderings and animations. Okay, we have done it. And everyone's talking about Afrocentric Afrocentric architecture now, great. You can even learn it in universities, universities around the world. Fantastic. Next thing, can we start seeing these things coming out the ground? It's not just about pretty pictures and renderings. It's the actual manifestation. How do we get clients to say, I want it to be Afrocentric. My culture is 
um, Shekiri. I want modern Shekiri. My culture is, you know, Ndebele, Luwu from Kenya, whatever. So the challenge now is to actually start building, actually buying land and be, becoming a developer, right? Maybe not wait for the client to, to be so convinced when he sees a beautiful rendering to say, okay, I'll, I'll buy it. Or come on, design and come on, build it for me. Go ahead and build it because really that's the, 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 the next huge risk and challenge that I have to take, that CPDI has to take, that all of us who believe in this, in this have to take. If you believe it, put your money where your mouth is. Oh yeah, build it now. Let them see. Let them see that it actually, because you use local materials, you standardize local materials, it's actually cheaper. Um, it's actually better for their comfort. You're not having to use so much air conditioning at all because you're using the right materials for Africa. That they can now see that it actually is beautiful and it does compare with what they think is beautiful coming from America, from New York, from Europe, wherever. Um, let them see that you've actually provided jobs for the people because you're doing something that is a little bit traditional. Um, the community's engaged. The spaces actually work better for them, how they actually use, you know, trying to force a round peg in a square hole. No, this actually works for me. This is actually how I live. My kitchen does need to be designed like this because... You know, all this open floor that we do in Europe, you want to come and bring it to Nigeria. Have you cooked a goosey soup on Friday, fish? <laughs> hey, God. It's a wrap, right? So there's specific kitchen design. There's specific bedroom design, the courtyards, those kinds of things. So the challenge now is to, to jump from research and teaching to becoming a developer. That takes money, as you can imagine. Where is the funding for this? Right. Um, so that's kind of where we are. We're looking at land speculation. We're out every day looking for land. Um, what you're going to see next is some CPDI buildings coming out the ground. We have a few, but we want to do some that we're going to be really, really proud of because we have the freedom um, to be really creative. In Nigeria, it's a little difficult, you know, Nigeria to get legitimate land is a challenge. Um, so we've gone down that road before buying, <laughs> spending a lot of money on land and you think you're buying land is all fake. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So, you know, been there, done that, trying to do it right the next time. Um, and then looking at buying into estates, what they call, um, subdivisions here where they build plots, but those plots come with their own prototypes. So how do you take a prototype and re-engineer it to make it Afrocentric um, so you can go ahead and build in a safe place um, and somebody can actually buy? So that's the big challenge now is becoming a developer. And we are, we are there. I'm proud to say we are there. That's amazing. But I'm so excited for the, for the next um, step in the right Africans journey. Um, and I personally can't wait to see I really hope to be a part of it. Um, so my final question for you is, can your experience both professionally and, um, you know, your educational experience, what advice, if you can leave us with one or two advices that you need an aspiring global architect, someone that right now might be down and just feel like, 
like it's actually like well, for me, they don't see themselves out there in the world of architecture or someone that men have even that's a you know a, a very discouraging comment from a professor. What is that one? What are two um, you know tips that you would give to an architect? Believe believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Um, understand that it's not really just about you becoming a star architect. That architecture was part of everyday culture for everybody in the world, not just Africans. But architecture was part of the culture. Every child, little kids, men, women, the elderly, everybody knew how to get together on the time when it's time to build a house for somebody. And they would get those materials. Everybody knew who was going to weave the thatch, who was going to make the clay bricks, who was going to build dig the foundation, who was going to do all the mill work, who was going to do the aesthetics. Everybody knew these things, community by community. Architecture was part of our culture. That's why nobody had to go to school for it. Nobody had to go look for loans to get money to build it because it was community. We all designed and built together. We were solving our problems. We were taking care of the needs that we had in our community. If you put that back first in your mind, that what I'm getting into is to solve problems and to help people in the world to have affordable shelter or beautiful shelter or whatever, then you will take the focus off of you and know that this is, this is community service and you will go through it and you will go and you will work in where you're making an impact in the lives of people. Architecture is not just for the wealthy. Architecture was supposed to be for everybody, right? So whether you're doing design in the villages, what can somebody in the village afford? Think about that, right? So if you want to go to a village or a town or a city or some fancy metropolis, Think about where you want to work, but then fit yourself into where you're solving a problem. It will make you feel very good and you will make money, right? So my advice, you said global architect, doesn't matter whether you're from Africa or not, but I'll be speaking specific, specifically to those in Africa and the diaspora, right? Because we're the ones who have so many issues um, in our built spaces and in the profession. That's don't wait for people to give you contracts to go build up your own community. It's enough architects and builders of color. Sit down, have your meetings, figure out what you need to do to solve whatever problem um, and do it. Create your own contracts. If you're a design student, when you graduate, stay in an apartment for one or two years, get your credit right, and then you go out there and you get a construction loan and you design and build your own house. That's the, that's the beginning. Well, Get a, don't even buy a house that's ready-made that a realtor is taking you out to go look at. No. Save your money. Get a construction loan. Be your own first client. Start from there. Right? I don't care how small that house is. If it's a two-bedroom bungalow or whatever it is. Start there. You know, even if it's a few friends come together and we build... Um, like what they call in Nigeria, a block of flats or some townhomes. Build together. Start your career that way. Do it in your community. Um, 
do something like what Habitat for Humanity did. And that's the last thing I'm going to say. Habitat Humanity was founded on an African design philosophy. He was in the Congo in the 1940s on a missionary trip. He saw some people come together building a house for one of the local um, families. Light goes off. He comes back to Atlanta and starts Habitat. And what is Habitat? It's people coming together, donating their time, bringing materials, and they build 20 houses in two weeks for those who need. Right? Habitat for Humanity, the billion-dollar corporation, is built off of an African concept. And you tell me with all the churches and mosques and everything, all the that we go to, that we can't sit down and do the same thing off of our own knowledge, which is why education is so important. How did Africans build their communities? We stopped because of colonization, slavery, so many things. Get that information back and build off of it. You will solve problems you're having today in your communities. Right? So, Ebehi, that's it. I'm just thank you for this entire conversation. I personally mm-hmm. learned a lot, and I'm so excited to really go back and dive deep into CPDI Africa. And I advise thank everyone you. listening to please check, mm-hmm. take a look at CPDI Africa, the website. It's really, truly amazing the work that has come out from there. And I want to thank you for not mm-hmm. just being my guest today, but for all of the mm-hmm. work you've done, just pushing through all thank of the you. noise. And giving you know, young African architects like myself hope and this pride Again. in architecture and all in our culture again. So thank you so much for thank being you. with me today. You're welcome. A pleasure to share. Meeting you inspires and encourages me to continue. And I cannot wait to pass the baton on to you. <laughs> but you're welcome. Join us. You're already a member. We're here, whether it's excursions, internships, lectures, more interviews. We're in it together now. So thank you so much. Well done. Well done. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Check out the show notes for links to information reference. I would appreciate it if you could share this episode, subscribe, follow, leave a review, or do all of the above. I am also curious to know the guests or topics you'd like me to put on my list. Thank you again.